You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. All right, let's get our Bibles out tonight and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and while you're doing that, uh, just a note, it's great to be back. Uh, We had a great trip down to Haiti. It was short, but uh, to be there for the launch of the church in Montan-Lavoute, Montan-Lavout is um, five miles from nowhere, and um, to have 236 people show up for church was pretty amazing to watch and see. The only vehicles that were there were the ones that we drove up in from Jockmel. I think everyone else walked to church, and uh, just an amazing, amazing time. And uh, what a privilege it is for our church to uh, stand with them and uh, to encourage them, pray for Pastor Rennell and uh, his wife and their family. And we're trusting God for great things in, in Haiti. And then I need to make a little editorial note uh, tonight. If you're watching this um, at the Markham campus, it's because um, I'm going to be in Newmarket on Sunday. And uh, we're rolling out some uh, really neat and exciting parts of vision. And uh, so those of you here tonight, you get to watch me live. And those who come to church in Markham tomorrow are going to watch me on the screen. That's what they do in Newmarket every week. And then, uh, Lord willing, we'll be back, everything back to whatever normal is uh, next week. And uh, we rejoice in that. Well, our series is In Between. Uh, We've trusted the Lord, we're in Christ, but we're not in heaven, and we're living in that in-between time. And uh, that's what we've been looking at as we've been studying this book. And as we come to uh, Philippians chapter 2, 1 to 11, the message of the title is, When Less is More. When Less is More. It's really a message about humility. It's a message about how what we believe at the core of who we are is totally counterculture to everything that goes on in our world. The world we live in is when more is more. Uh, you go after whatever you can go after. You get whatever you can get, whether it's good health or more stuff or a position or power. Uh, we live in a world where it's go for it and get more. And uh, in Christ... For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He must increase, I must decrease. And we see this in our passage tonight, so let's stand together. We want to honor God as we uh, read his word. I'm going to start in uh, Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind in you among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus." who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So to the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you. 
Thank you for this amazing, amazing passage of scripture that uh, Paul gave to the Philippian church. There's so much for us to glean from it, so much for us to learn in it as we live in this in-between. Father, teach us through the example of Jesus Christ. Teach us through the example of Paul how, how you increase, how we, we yield ourselves and give up so much for your fame, for your glory, that you would be glorified. Take your word and do a work in us. The only way we can explain it tonight is, God, you did it. Lord, I pray for the person who's in the room tonight who's never trusted Christ. They will see the example of Jesus Christ in becoming a servant suffering, dying, so we could have eternal life. And tonight would be the night of their salvation. Lord, I pray that you give us ears to hear your word, minds to understand it. And then God, as a result of hearing your word, passionate lives to live out in the power of the spirit for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, thank you. You can take your seats. Well, when less is more, tonight we want to take a look at three major areas. And here's the first one. When less is more, we can see. We can see. When less is more, there's certain things that become um, clear to us. And the first one we want to see is when less is more, we can see the obvious. There's a commercial on TV right now. I think it's for um, selling trips or, or motel rooms, actually. And, and it's like, thank you, Captain Obvious. Right, you've seen that commercial on TV? And the guy goes through and he does it and he says, well, thank you, Captain Obvious. Well, in verse one of this text, there are some pretty obvious things that, that Paul talks about. And he's kind of going back to, you should just understand this. This is foundational stuff. This is kind of 101 stuff. But um, in your Bible, that first word is the word so. In some of your versions, the word therefore might be there. It's the connecting word from all that you have just seen in verse in chapter one the next word is if so if if um, the obvious is to make us remember so if if there is any encouragement in christ Re really if there's any encouragement in Christ, well, of course there is encouragement in Christ. When we think of who Jesus was and what he did and what he accomplished. And so Paul is tying chapter 1 now into chapter 2. And there's just a, a little reminder for us. Don't forget about all that we have and all that we are and whose we are. And if there's any encouragement in Jesus Christ, I got all kinds of encouragement in Jesus Christ. He is my strength to walk day by day. He is my hope for eternity life. He is the one on whom my salvation is. Is there any encouragement in Jesus Christ? Of course there is. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort in his love or in love, not only the love of Christ that constrains us, but the love of the body of Christ as we yield to one another and encourage one another. Remember, Paul's writing from prison and he's remembering their gift that they had sent to him and he's just filled with thanksgiving. And so if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there is any comfort in the love, not only the love from each other, but the love of God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, if there's any any comfort in love, if there's any participation in the Spirit. Paul had just talked about this in the first, uh, in the first chapter when, when he talked about their prayers and by the working of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And again, he comes back to it, how important it is. It's great that we just before we uh, had this message, we sang two songs that are really about the working of God and His Spirit in us. If there's any 
encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, if there's any affection, any affection, uh, this book is one of the most affectionate books, I believe, written in all of Scripture, as Paul talks about his love for this people. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, and remembering their gift, and Epaphroditus, who almost died on his way to deliver the gift, and sending it back to them. The, the whole book is just absolutely chucked full of, of affection, not only from the church, but also the affection of God for us, and, and sympathy if there's any affection and sympathy, perhaps Paul is thinking about his own situation and all that he was called to endure. See, when, when less is more, when our eyes are off of ourself and onto who Jesus Christ is, we, we see these kind of things and they become obvious to us, but we need to be reminded. At least I need to be reminded because I so easily forget. You have received all of this and we have a responsibility now to live in light of it. When less is more, we can see the obvious. When less is more, we see joy in unity. Uh, look at the, uh, the next verse. Uh, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one and of one mind. Again, remember back in chapter 1, Paul said, Stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side, not afraid. And so he talks about unity. And, he, and as he's in prison and all the pressures that are on him, he wants this body to stay together. He wants them to love each other. As we get later in the book, we're going to see where there was a bit of a struggle that was going on. And he's calling them to, to come to uni unity and to not be fractured in their relationship relationship. He, so he reiterates that same theme here in verse 2. He says, of the same mind, of the same love, a love for one another. I read this quote this week. I like it. It said, love begins when someone else's need comes before our own. Love begins when someone else's need comes before our own. And he's crying out and he's asking that, that they would understand and they would be of the same mind and of the same love with one mind in full accord, unity in spirit and in purpose, an agreeable cooperative spirit with a focus that's on the glory of God. So far in the life of our church, God has blessed us with this. One mind, one accord, uh, we pray for it, we ask for it, we wrestle with things, but Christ has called us to some things. We try to keep our eye on those things, keeping the main things, the main things always lifting high the word of God and not getting sidetracked by it. But when less is more, there's joy and unity and we don't get distracted by the things that don't really matter. I don't have to have my way about open-handed things, but, but I am willing to release those things for the sake of the gospel and for sake of unity in the church. Notice how the verse begins. He says, complete my joy. Make my joy, make it complete. Make my joy complete. Remember the definition we use? Joy is the supernatural delight in the person and the purposes and the people of God. Paul says, um, make my joy complete by being of one mind. Make my joy complete by having the same love. 
Make my joy complete by having one full accord. Unless there's more, we see obvious things. We have joy in unity. And then uh, here's the next one. When, when less is more, we see less of ourselves. We see less of ourselves. Look at verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition, or your version might say rivalry, or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do nothing. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Really? Can you say that last week? Can you say that everything you did last week, your ambition was for Jesus Christ to be exalted? It wasn't so that someone might see you and give you a nice pat on the back and a well done, well done, well done. When that comes, that's great, but that shouldn't be our motive. He says, let nothing. I got to admit, I'm still working on that. I find myself sometimes saying some things and doing some things and hoping people will notice and don't let anything be done through selfish ambition or rivalry. Rival, selfish ambition is so that I can outdo you. That's what selfish ambition is. Don't let anything be done out of selfish ambition. So in other words, so that I can outdo you. Remember back in chapter one, he talked about those who were preaching the gospel. And he, and he used that as the illustration. Those who were preaching the gospel out of rivalry, out of selfish ambition. The poor guy's in prison and people are preaching the gospel so that they can main, make a name for themselves. They can outdo Paul. Um, don't, let any, don't, don't let that be your life. Guard against that. When your small group is going on and maybe struggling, not growing like you hoped it would, and somebody else's is going well, and you find yourself becoming flustered and hardened and hurt, and truth and time run hand in hand. Let God do his work in his way, in his time. You be faithful. Do nothing from selfish ambition. That's so I can outdo you. Or do nothing out of conceit, which means um, I'm doing it because I am better than you. I am better than you. Selfish ambition is so I can outdo you out of conceit saying, I'm better than you. Don't do anything with that kind of attitude. Check that attitude at the door. Set it aside. When, you help, when you're helping someone learn uh, your expertise and your experience might be needed. I find more and more, Sue and I have been in ministry for 36 years and people come and ask us all kinds of things. And it would be easy sometimes to go, yeah, you know, we've been down that path. Yeah, yeah, we can help you with that. Yeah, we got that all figured out. But don't let anything you do come with that kind of a heart or that kind of a spirit, but rather understand that maybe God took you through some things or allowed you to grow in some things so that he can use you in this and get the focus off of yourself and get your focus onto the glory of God. Don't do anything. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or out of conceit. The verse goes on, says, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Um, some synonyms for humility would be reduce, deflate, demote, lower, bring down, serve, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, right? 
I like to be reminded myself regularly that this church is not determined by me. And without me, it would go on. It would go on. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. To do that, you have to have a right view of God. Um, humility is understanding who you are in light of who God is, right? You get, get God on the throne and get yourself in the right place. It's not me in a ditch, but it's me under the headship, the lordship of God Almighty and under the lordship of Jesus Christ. He is first. It requires a, a revite view of yourself to come to the place of humility, counting others more significant than yourself happens with much prayer. It's a decision. It's a choice. It's a discipline. It becomes a lifestyle. I already quoted the verse, John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. That was John the Baptist talking about Jesus. But back in the Psalms, Psalm 25, verse 9, it says that God, he leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. Uh, you want God on your side? You want him leading you in a way that will bring glory? Um, then you want to be a humble person because God leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. Psalm 55, 19, God will give ear. God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from the old because they do not change and, and they do not fear God. Uh, God will give ear. He listens and he will humble people. Um, Romans 12, 3, for by grace, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And Colossians 3.12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassion heart, compassionate hearts, kindness, put on humility. It's a decision. It's a choice. It's a discipline. Put on meekness and put on patience. And the last verse I want to give you is 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Close yourselves, all of you, with humility, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper time he may exalt you. When less is more, when less is more, we see less of self. We're called to be servants. We're called to servanthood. We're going to see it in Jesus Christ. And being a servant is a whole level beyond being willing to help out. Um, I was reading a thing this week, gave five differences between being a helper and being a servant. And so think about it in the things that you do as you are involved in the church. Think about in ministry that you're involved in. If, if you're a helper, you do it when it's convenient. When you're a servant, you do it when it's inconvenient. When you're a helper... Helpers help people that they like. When you're a servant, servants work with those that they even dislike. Helpers enjoy the task. I need some help who will help me to do this. And you get out there and you help. When, when you're a servant, you do it even when the task is not enjoyable. And you stick with it and you commit to it and you, you don't give up. Helpers are, obtain personal satisfaction in what they get. And servants keep on going even when 
there's no personal satisfaction, but rather that God is glorified. Helpers have an attitude of assisting others. A servants have an attitude of assisting, but an attitude that enables others to succeed even at the expense of their own success. When less is more, we can, we can see, and we can see that less of self is what God calls for, and more of others and more of the glory of God. And here's the last one on this point. When less is more, we can see Jesus. We see Jesus. Look at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. When less is more, Christ becomes more and more of the focus. When self is more, when I, what I want is more, Jesus seems to be set to the back, and Paul's about to lay out the picture of who Jesus is and what he did for them, pretty overwhelming. But in this verse, he says, he says this. Let me read it again for you. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind. One mind. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Let me flip the order around there. First of all, he says it's yours in Christ Jesus. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, that's, that's speaking about our salvation. And then he says, which is yours. It's not something that you're still trying to attain. It's something which we already have. We already have this in Christ Jesus. It begins in our salvation. It starts when we trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. In that sense, it is yours. It is finished. Now, we're not defeated. Way too many Christians live a defeated life, and we're not defeated. What Christ has done for us is ours. It's ours. It's done. It's finished. We've received it. The... the uh, the, the, the sheet has been made clean. We have been justified because Jesus Christ did a work and it is yours by faith alone in Christ alone. And we believe in Christ. We trust Christ and we are saved. It's yours. And if you're here tonight and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, the offer is yours. It's yours. We're going to see in a moment that Jesus Christ came and how he suffered and what he set apart and how he died on a cross and how he paid a price and all of that he offered to us. And what do we have to do? Believe, believe, believe. Because it's not yours in what you do. It's yours in Jesus Christ. It's yours in what Christ has done. And so when less is more, we see Jesus not only in our salvation, but then also we see him in our sanctification. And that's the growing up part. That's the, it goes on every day. The work of salvation, the salvitic work is done. But the sanctifying work is a progress. It's going on every day. Have you heard me say it before? I'm, I'm not yet what I will be. I'm not even yet what I should be, but I'm not what I was because God has been doing a work after my salvation, growing me up in Jesus Christ. When less is more, we see Jesus. More and more, our focus of our life is about who he is and what he did and what the focus is. That takes us to our next point. When less is more, Christ is our model. Christ is our model. 
These verses we're going to look at for the next few minutes are some of the most amazing verses in, in the entire Bible. You could do a whole series on them. One day I probably will. Some commentators even believe that these next verses were a hymn that was sung in the early church. Um, but what we're going to talk about right here is also going to be very foundational to next week's message when we come to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We often hear those verses and it's like, not work for your salvation, but work out your salvation. And that, we're going to focus on that next week for sure. So come ready to hear that and be ready for that. But, but it, he says how? Fear and trembling. Fear trembling. Not enough fear and trembling in the church today. Not enough fear and trembling in our hearts. The reason that we struggle so much with sin and the failure is because there's not enough fear and trembling going on. And he really sets the, the picture, sets the, the tone of it for us right here um, in these verses. Uh, look what they say. Verse 6. Have this, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He was, he was, though he was in the form of God, it's, it's written that way so that we understand that he already had received this. What he's talking about wasn't something he was trying to attain or trying to get to. The Lord's possession of the fact that he was divine in essence and didn't cease to be the fact when he came to the earth to assume a human form. He already was God. He already was God. He never stopped being God. He was or being in the form of God. Jesus was God, and that never changed. In the form of God, it says, that word form comes from the word morphe. Best Greek I can give. Morphe. It means an essential form which never alters. It signifies a form which truly and fully expresses the being that underlies it. He was in the form of God. In other words, he was God through and through. That's what it means. If they meant external, they would have used a different word. They would have used the word, have used the word schema. It's the outward form which changes from time to time. They didn't use that word. Paul didn't use that word. He said he was in the form of God. Jesus Christ is God. He is God. Who being in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Other versions might say did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. And what it means is Jesus Christ is God. He's going to come and take on humanity, not give up divinity. And in, in doing so, who being in the very form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. It wasn't like he was scratching and grasping to hold on to it. He already had it. And that's what the Greek means when it says that Jesus Christ, being in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus wasn't trying to achieve equality with God. He already, he already had it. He already was. 
he was God. And when less is more, when less is more, we see Christ as our model. We see the servant of God's purpose. Christ was coming, didn't have to hold on to things, could let them go um, because he was God, and because he is God. He was not only the servant of God's purpose, but in verses 7 and 8, he was the servant of God's people. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being formed in the likeness of man. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He, he emptied himself. Again, we need to come back and, and understand what's being said here. Jesus wasn't emptying himself of his divinity, but rather he was setting aside so that he could take on human form he could come and be the Savior. He could come and be our servant. Let me read this for you. We must, we must carefully think about what Jesus emptied himself of. Paul will tell us in the following verses, and I'm going to show you some things in just a minute, but we must take care that we do not think that Jesus emptied himself of his deity in any way. Jesus did not and could not become less God in the incarnation. No deity was subtracted, though he did renounce some of the rights of deity. Rather, humanity was added to his nature. Who being in the very form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a, of a servant. It wasn't that he gave something out, off, he took something on and in the form of, of a servant. It says, um, being born in likeness of men. The word for likeness here may refer to the outward form of something. He took on a, a human form and he humbled himself by becoming obedient. He humbled himself becoming, by becoming obedient. And so when, when Jesus came to earth, what did he take off? What did he put on? Think about some of these things. How did Jesus Christ humble himself? Well, he took the form of a man. He was born in an obscure, oppressed place. He was born into poverty, poverty among despised people. He was born as a child instead of appearing as as a man, he was humble in all those things. He was humble in submitting to the obedience appropriate to a child in a household. He was humble in learning and practicing a trade and, and a humble trade of a builder. He was humble in the long wait until he launched out in public ministry. He was humble in the companions and disciples that he chose. He was humble in the audience he appealed to and the way that he taught. He was humble in the temptations he allowed and he adjured, endured. He was humble in the weaknesses and hunger and thirst and tiredness that he endured. He, he, he was hunger in his total obedience to his heavenly father. He was humble in his submission to the Holy Spirit. He was humble in choosing and submitting to the death of the cross. He was humble in the agony of his death. He was humble in the shame and the mocking and the public humiliation of his death. He was humble in enduring the spiritual agony of his sacrifice 
on the cross. He humbled himself, who though he's in the form of God, did not count equality, something he had to grasp onto, but he humbled himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even a death on a cross. We take a look at um, when less is more, when less is more, Christ, our model, we see him the servant to God's plan. We see him the servant to God's plan. He was first the servant to God's purpose, and then he was a servant to us, God's people, by humbling himself in all of those things. And, and now he is the, the servant to God's plan. In Mark 10, 45, it says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Look at the end of verse 8 and then verse 9. Becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. The servant to God's plan. To the point of death, even death on a cross. I think it was Spurgeon who said, the bottom rung in the ladder from the throne of God. Jesus came all the way down to the most despised death of all, a condemned criminal on the accursed cross to the point of death, even death on a cross. We live in a world where more is more. And Jesus Christ, our model, our example, teaches us that less is more. Even death on a cross, they took Jesus Christ, the spotless lamb, the sinless one. They, they uh, flogged him. They beat him. They hung him on a cross. They spat on him. They put a, thorn of of, of, a crown of thorns on his head, and they watched him die. Submit yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that in his time and in his way, he will exalt you. Well, here's the neat thing. When less is more, Christ is exalted. When less is more, Christ is exalted. Christ is exalted in my life. He's exalted in my walk. He's exalted in my desire. He becomes first. When, when less is more, Christ is exalted. Last three verses. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father How much Christ exalting came from you this week? How much, how much lifting high the name of Jesus Christ came from you this week? Because that's what God does with his son. God lifts up his son. Jesus Christ is exalted. Therefore, God has exalted him. When I get me out of the way, when Christ is squarely on the throne where he belongs, he is exalted. Exalted. Notice what it says. Therefore, Christ has, or therefore God has highly 
exalted him. Literally, that would be he has super exalted him or exalted him with exaltation. It's not just like, well done, well done. No, no, super exaltation. That's what God does with Jesus Christ. He lifts him up. He puts him on the throne. Christ didn't crown himself. The Father crowned him. He didn't elevate himself to the throne of majesty. The Father lifted him up and placed him on the throne. And this says, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. The name that is above every name. Commentators basically all agree that that's the name Jehovah, Yahweh. That's the name. He's given him the name that is above every name. Not that he didn't have it, but that we would understand it when Jesus Christ is exalted and when he is lifted up, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. The whole world is brought into submission under Jesus Christ. How do we know that? In heaven and on earth and under the earth. This conveys the absolute totality of all creation recognizing the superiority of Jesus Christ. Because of what Christ has done, what Christ has accomplished, every knee shall bow on, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. There's no one left. Everyone comes under that. It doesn't matter if you've trusted Christ or you have rejected Christ. Every knee one day will bow and say that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those who are in Christ will do it to eternal salvation. And those who have rejected Christ will say it to eternal damnation. But every knee will bow and every tongue will confess the support, the superiority of Jesus Christ. This text really comes out of Isaiah 45, 23. It says, by myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. And so what is said about Jehovah, Yahweh, in the Old Testament is now put upon Jesus Christ because he is the fulfillment of all of these things that God has done. Every knee, every tongue, that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day, one day, everyone will say it. Everyone will say it. Will you say it to the glory of God and eternal life? Or will you say it to the glory of God and to your own damnation and separation from God for eternity. Perhaps Paul had an inkling of what was coming because it wasn't much longer down the road that in the Roman Empire, all of the residents of the empire were required to swear an oath of allegiance to the empire, declaring that Caesar is Lord. They'd have to burn a pinch of incense to an image of the emperor. And Christians rightly interpreted it as idolatry and refused to participate in it. Many hundreds and thousands of them paid with their lives because they would not bow. They would not ascribe to someone else what belonged to God alone. Like Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They would not bow. They wouldn't bend the knee. 
because they knew that Jesus Christ was Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. When less is more, when I take hold of all that God has done for me and I see all that God has done, when I come to the place of understanding who Jesus Christ is and what he accomplished in humbling himself and setting aside and taking on the form of a servant and so that he could die a death so I could have eternal life. When less is more, Christ becomes more and more, not only in my thoughts, but in my life, in my conversations, who I talk to, the way I talk about Christ, where the priority he has for me and And so what priority does Christ have for you? What are you talking about, about Jesus Christ? How is he being exalted in your life, in your home and in your workplace and with your neighbors? And because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, so what? So what? The picture that we have in this text is an amazing picture. I want you to go home and I want you to read it again and, and just see. He starts with the obvious and then walks through the things that we have and then we see the picture of who Jesus is. and Just, just let it wash over you what he did, coming down to dying and death, even death on a cross. And, and then he is highly exalted and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It should overwhelm us. It should wash us with love and passion and fear and and desire to give God glory in all that we do for the fame of his name that he is lifted up. The picture of Jesus helped them and helps us to understand how Paul lived and the example that he was and what he was going through. How could, how could he do that? Well, because Jesus Christ was the reason he lived. The picture helped them and helped us to understand how God delights to show his power through humility. The picture has equipped them and helps us to act in ways that promote unity in the body of Christ. Because what I want really doesn't matter. What Jesus Christ wants when he is exalted, that's what gets the priority. That's what's up on the throne. The picture shows them and it shows us how to follow Jesus in a pattern of patience and humble obedience. In the case of Jesus, even to a death on a cross. For us, maybe some teasing in the workplace, maybe being pushed aside in some family events, maybe some harsh words said about us. But why? So that Jesus Christ can be exalted. Why? Because one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm living in the in-between. Not what I was, not even what I will be or should be, but I'm looking forward to what I will be in Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of it. Thank you for the strong expression that Paul laid out for them, laying a foundation and then bringing them to look at who Jesus Christ is and the model he was and what he did, Lord. Would that be our story? Would that be my story? He must increase. I must de decrease because one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do your work in your way in our lives for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.